Okay, so that's my offer. I deliver a rig big enough to haul that tanker of yours, you give me back my vehicle and as much juice as I can carry. We lost eight good people this morning. What's he got in mind? Now, to do the job, I need five gallons of diesel and some high-octane gasoline. Think of it as a down payment. And that's the last we'll ever see of him. He has to come back for his wheels. What have we got to lose? Got yourself a deal. Episode 3 of the Cult of Matt and Mark, Cult Film Review Podcast. Uh, today we're uh, reviewing Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, um, by George Miller, uh, starring Mel Gibson as uh, Mad Max Rockatansky. That's his full name, by the way. Rockatansky. Rockatansky, yeah. You don't hear that. Uh, you'd have to go back to the original Mad Max to watch that. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to say uh, I'm Mark. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Missed that. Apologize. <laughs> All right. Uh, and I'm Matt. And uh, anyway, um, so uh, Mel Gibson, um, a relative unknown at the time uh, of this movie's release in 1981, at least stateside. I think he was probably more well known down in Australia. He'd starred in a few smaller pictures, and I don't know if uh, he was in a mo- he was in the movie called Gallipoli. Which, oh uh, yeah, this Gallipoli preceded uh, Mad Max too. Right, Road Warrior. Yeah, he was. I don't know how young then, but that was uh, Gallipoli was about World War One, and the Australians that fought in World War One. Kind mm. of a downer picture. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing it on TV, and it's certainly. Uh, well, I think it's one of those war movies that uh, tries to show war as it is. Yeah, and Gallipoli was a. Uh, it was like a military failure. Um, it was an invasion of Turkey, but, uh, he was in that, he was, he was, uh, um, and then, uh, he, his, uh, kind of his rise to fame, I think was the road warrior cause it was int- his introduction into American cinema. Um, and I actually remember seeing this in the theater when I was <laughs> eight years old. I think I was eight. Mm. Um, it was in Oak Harbor, uh, where we used to have our, uh, sailboat moored and so we were up there a lot. And uh, my dad took me to see it, <laughs> you know. And um, it, it, I mean, it's not—it's not a bad film. I mean, gener- there's you know, there's a little bit of nudity. Well, there's like but a full-blown really, rape it, scene going on. There. Well, there's, the, there's a rape. Scene. I mean, like, I mean, it's not too graphic, but it there's is. There's one scene where one lady has her bush hanging out. Which one? Oh, yeah, that was sort of the comical little where the tent gets ripped off and the, uh, as the truck uh, goes by. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I just it always it always seems to uh, stupefy me how what kind of film and television my parents let me watch at a relatively young age. Well, and, it's a bit different from me. And my mom actually took me to see Conan the Barbarian, oh, which yeah. came, came out I think the same summer or, um, but I remember seeing the preview for the Road Warrior in the trailers for Conan the Barbarian. Mm. So when Conan came out, this was in the trailers. Mm. And I didn't, you know, we almost started laughing because it was so over the top, like the trailer for this movie. Um, 
you know, and it was basically because this movie was so, I wouldn't, I want to call it genre breaking in a way, um, at least for action film and at least for like sci-fi film. Um, there'd been a few, uh, post-apocalyptic movies. Uh, one comes to mind is, uh, A Boy and His Dog starring, uh, oh, Don Johnson, which was a, <laughs> I uh, yeah, see, I did not see A Boy well, it was a Har- Dog. It was a Harlan Ellison novella and it was a mm. post-apocalyptic tale about, um, a boy, well, he was like a young teenage Don Johnson, and his like clairvoyant dog who could uh, clairvoyant dog. Yeah, he could he could uh, speak to him using mind con- like ESP. Oh, okay. So like the dog would talk throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing, and uh, you know it was sort of a post-apocalyptic scavenging culture out in the middle of the wasteland kind of thing. Um, but uh, Mad Max. Uh, Two, the Road Warrior. It's a sequel to Mad Max, mm-hmm. the first Mad Max. And I don't know if you'd ever seen the first Mad Max or not. I don't know. I, I don't think you know. Maybe I have in passing. Sort of how I've seen Mad Max two in passing. I, I, I tried to throw myself back to my childhood to remember the plot of this movie, and uh, it really everything gets mixed up in Thunderdome because I think I was a little older. Yeah. And plus, it has some returning characters from Mad Max two. Right. In Thunderdome. And uh, so I, I couldn't quite remember it, though. This you know the movie starts out with some scenes from right. uh, the first yeah. Mad Max, and and it does the intro. And when I first saw it, of course I was a kid, and it was it was harder for me to put, uh, um, you know, kind of put two and two together there. But uh, yeah, they do a mashup of like historical footage about sort of the end of civilization. Yeah. It's the old, uh, let's bring out all the world war two stock footage. And, right. I mean, I'm not sure what they're saying about the backstory. I mean, you, do you, you remember the, the first Mad Max film? Do they talk about the backstory? I don't remember. They, well, no, the, the, well, the first Mad Max is film, actually things devolving because he's a cop. Right. But you don't see the thing that always bothered me. And I'm going to read the summary here from, from I am of DB of the, of the road warrior. Oh, the road warrior. We can read the, we can read the summary. So, uh, a former police officer is Mm -hmm. now a lone wanderer traveling through a devastated Australia after a nuclear war. They don't really explicitly say is you have to really know the first movie. Well, let me go on. Sorry. Uh, looking for now priceless petrol. He lives Mm -hmm. to survive and is none too pleased when he finds himself the only hope of a small group of honest people running a remote oil refinery. He must protect them from the bike gang that is terrorizing them whilst transporting the entire fuel supply to safety. The thing that didn't... Is, it's that, Im- the, is that the end of the synopsis? Yeah. Not for, the best synopsis I've ever Well, heard it was written by uh, Graham Roy, and mm. uh, if you have any complaints... Fuck you, Graham. You can uh, reach his email address <laughs> at IMDb and complain. Um but the thing that bugs me is that it's implied that there was a nuclear war, but it's not explicitly said in the road war that there is a nuclear war. Uh, does it really say that? I mean, it sounds like more like the world just fell apart because the right. economy collapsed. Now, and because the, there's there's a narration that goes along with this backstory about the great men meeting together while the world crumbled around them. So it sounds like it just sort of was a, a right. devolvement, not an apocalypse. Right. Not and, that the result was any different. Well, mind. there's an oil crisis. Yeah. And um, and that's kind of why, you know, I I think this movie is still relevant mm. and uh, uh, is probably a more accurate depiction of things to come than a lot of other things in a, in a horrifying way. But there's evidence 
of little snippets of the road warrior in the world today mm. that um, uh, mimic in sort of frightening ways what you see in the film and you know not to make too much out of it but like in Africa for instance oh sort of lawless areas well like gangs. Somalia you know Somalia has kind of been in a state of lawlessness for mm -hmm. 30 years mm -hmm. and um, one thing that I always remember seeing about the footage out of uh, our ill-spent time in Mogadishu mm. um, is something called the technicals and it's a military term for a uh, vehicle that has been turned into like a fighting machine um, like a sort of a dreadnought sort yeah, of yeah like a pickup where you um, mount like some kind of a 50 caliber machine gun in the in the bed or you know something that that you've turned like a normal conventional stock vehicle into sort of a, a an assault vehicle of some kind yeah yeah I mean sounds like what I would do yeah so I you had a, had a small Datsun B1000 and a right and a machine gun right so you know when you when I saw pictures of Somalia I was like oh that looks like the road warrior to me you know, I mean, you just get that impression. And another thing in, in Liberia, um, during its civil war, which was basically a state of lawlessness, you'd get a lot of flamboyance with the militias. They were into uh, cross-dressing, kind of dandying themselves up. Just a type of uniform? Is that what you mean? Or yeah, they really like they, were... would, they would dress in drag and go fight each other. You know, hmm. these militias that were operating out of Liberia. I wonder and, if it was a way to intimidate. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm so manly, I could dress as a woman and kick your ass. Right. And they would paint, like, they would spray paint their AK-47s and, like, chrome and gold and make them all really, you know, crazy. And so, you know, back in the early 80s, the scariest thing to middle-class America, I think, were punk rockers. You know, mm. there, there was, like, a Quincy episode where Quincy, you know, has to delve into, uh, you know, the, the evils of slam dancing. You know, some somebody gets killed at some punk club in West Hollywood, you know, from slam dancing. And does he goth out and go in there? No, I don't remember the story. Puts but... on his black leather uh, doctor's coat? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Puts a faux hawk on and, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Quincy's dedicated. So, I think in the early 80s, uh, you know, your average middle class white American was, was deathly afraid of punk rockers. Mm. And so this movie hit just at the right time because... Uh, the the bad guys are all like have crazy mohawks and S and M gear and you know one of them has a boy toy. I mean, we want to talk about the the dress of the, of the uh, of the wastelanders, I guess you could call them. Yeah, I mean, it was. I tell you, there was some really nice costume work in this movie. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know who did the costumes. I didn't bother looking at. I I checked. But whoever some... whoever did it. They really knew, I mean, some great color choices. You talk about the helicopter pilot, uh, what was his name? The, the gyro captain. Yeah, the gyro captain. He is, he is, I mean, what a wonderful color palette. He's dressed in a, uh, a sort of a, a lemon meringue uh, underwear. One's yeah, underwear, right, right. And he has a, a purple, uh, sort of a light purple uh, kerchief. Yeah. And this sort of drab green overcoat, which is and wonderful colors and pink converse you know one thing i have to say quickly is um i watched this movie on amazon as, as much as i hate throwing money at a third year old picture because i think it's you know crime against nature that it's not in the public domain right um i'll tell you one thing 
because uh, they could make a little money on it, they did a nice digital transfer. Oh, really? The colors were beautiful. Very, very little spec from the film. You can see that it was original. They went back to the film. Yeah. And digitized it at a high def, and uh, it was nice. I don't know where you got I, it. I watched it on uh, Comcast has a uh, on-demand mm. in HD. And, yeah, it was actually a or really good. Or it was, if a, it was the same transfer. Maybe they did a Blu-ray. Maybe it's a Blu-ray transfer. It was a crystal clear transfer of a nice 30 colors. film. I'll tell you, I mean... Um, uh, he is hated, hated as much as I hate to say it, that profit motive is the only reason they did a nice transfer. That's Otherwise, true. we'd be left with like crappy VHS copies with bad sound and bad tracking and all that good stuff. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it was a nice, nice transfer. I appreciated that. The uh, costumes in the trivia section of IMDb, mm. they talked about that a bit, and they basically got it from S and M and sporting goods stores. That's kind of where they went. Um, the art direction went to. You talking for so, the the Outlanders? Yeah, there's a lot of costumes that I. Were created de novo for the for right the production, especially the uh, commune like. Uh, oh, they're all in white. I know, and, and and these yellows, yellows, yellows and whites. whites, and there were some accents here and there. Depending yeah. on the character, they would you know put more drab or make it more white. The older woman didn't even seem to have a uh, Australian accent. It was more of almost an English accent. Mm. You know, the one that was kind of Papa Gallo's sort of. Uh, you know, he, she was the one that was kind of countering his ideas. Well, she that was scene. the elder woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's get Some nice costumes. Let's let's back up a little bit into to to the Max character. The only costume I didn't like was the wild child's costume. Oh, the feral kid. Yeah, he had a bit of a bouffant kind of '80s mullet haircut that didn't that was really a weird work. outfit. Yeah. Well, let me let me go into the. Uh, Let's talk about Max's backstory. And you haven't seen Mad Max, right? Uh, I have, but I don't remember a damn thing of it. I'll tell you one thing about it. Looking at the at the uh, the shots from the original Mad Max, it's amazing how much Mel Gibson looks like um, the the actor that played. Um, let me see, I got it uh, in uh, the second uh, Tron movie, Tron Legacy. Garrett Garrett Hedlund, who played Sam Flynn. Wow, that's arcane. I, I don't even remember. I don't, you saw Tron. Well, I saw it, but I don't remember that character. Well, the main so. character who plays Sam Flynn, the son. Oh, the son. Yeah. Oh, man, I can't even remember him. Uh, Garrett Hedlund. I haven't seen him in, in stuff, uh, but I'll tell you, he looked a lot like a, a young... Uh, Mel Gibson? Young Mel Gibson. Maybe you don't really oh. catch it there. Yeah. But the hairdo was exactly the same, sort yeah. of the spiky short crop. Right. You know, I wonder uh, wonder if he'll uh, become a uh, not raging alcoholic with a little anti-Semitism thrown in. <laughs> That's right. He in can star life. in uh, the long-awaited uh, Mad Max 4 Fury Road. But um, anyway. Uh, you know, he might be a good choice for a, uh, a reboot. Possibly. And that's been in the works. But... I, I mean, uh, I, think, I, think, I think he certainly would uh, So. A, a brief backstory: the, the Mad Max, which was a low-budget um, car movie, and one of the reasons George Miller wrote and directed these films is because he was a huge uh, muscle car fan. Mm. Um, so Mad Max was, uh, and it wasn't post-apocalyptic. It may have been, you know, during the apocalypse or the kind of the sort of degradation of civilization over a long period of time you know maybe you don't they don't go into it in uh mad max it's just things aren't what they were and they're falling apart and you don't get much of a socioeconomic justification for why things are happening the way they are but uh gangs sort of rule the road Mm -hmm. and um the nemesis of of max in the first film is this motorcycle gang and uh he plays a cop 
and he's still trying to, if I remember correctly, still trying to be a cop. Right, and be a cop in almost a lawless sort of society. Mm-hmm. And uh, the motorcycle gang is terrorizing the countryside. Um, they kill uh, one of his partners. And then proceed through the course of the film to kill his wife and child. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on a revenge spree where uh, he uh, gets in the uh, V8 Interceptor. And that's that's the car from Road Warrior. And I didn't even know this when I first saw the film. But that's it's a cop car from that era. Okay. And so there's... The Interceptor is a pretty common term they give to versions of cars like the spec. Right for the, for the cops, the interceptor, like the Crown Vic interceptor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, he uh, basically um, kills the the leader of the bike gang in Mad Max, and then he heads out into uh, uh, the wasteland. And that's the last shot you see of of Mad Max as he's driving and driving. He must injure his knee at some point too. Because yeah, that's in the first movie. Okay, because they make a point of this makeshift brace he wears. Right. He gets shot in the knee, like in the last sort of climax of Mad Max. No, he actually gets shot because I guess firearms were more, Mm. you know, the, nobody's making bullets anymore, but during Mad Max, people were still making bullets. So guns were still around and yeah, he gets shot in the road and that actually is, 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 is a pretty good last part of the film is, is that, that revenge scene in Mad Max, um, and especially the very last scene where he finds kind of this, I forget what he was called, like Johnny the Boy, who's just sort of a toady of the bike gang and uh, is basically the the cause for, he sort of rats, rats like out. He's kind of like a, I'm trying to think of the right word, sort of like a grima worm tongue kind of character in, okay. in Mad Max. And, uh, there's this last scene where he's stealing clothes off of a dead guy in the ditch and Max finds him and he handcuffs him to the wrecked vehicle mm. and sets up a little bomb with a headlamp and gasoline that's like basically a like a crude timer. Oh yeah, you know, I just I'm just getting little hints of this in the back of my mind bubbling up to the surface. I do remember that. Yeah, and sort of he, like a weird mercury switch type thing. Yeah, exactly. And he hands him a hacksaw. And then he says, you can, uh, you can cut through the handcuff in, I don't uh, know, what, 20 minutes or 15, 20 minutes, uh, but you can probably cut through your ankle in five. <laughs> and, you got, and you got eight minutes. And you got, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so it's almost like that scene percolated into the Saw movies. I don't know if uh-huh. you saw Saw where it was like this thing. Yeah, as I said before, uh, I mean, I saw a bit of the Saws, but uh, the straight up gory snuff stuff I'm not too crazy right well there was a hacksaw cut through your limb hacksaw you know thing going on in Saw sounds like sounds like about right for that film right so Max is a broken man and then he heads out into uh, into the wasteland Mm -hmm. and it and it picks up uh, Road Warrior picks up after almost you know beside he's been out on the road for a while a while but he's still in the same state of mind Mm -hmm. it could be Whatever time passes, I'm not sure what the actual passage of time between this film and oh, I don't even know. This I don't one know. Was when... 81. I'm, it can't be more than well, whatever. Yeah, I don't know when uh, Mad Max came out. It's it, not it, a huge amount of time. Maybe three. Years you could probably tell by the cars. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, but there is mention of his cop past briefly in the Road Warrior, especially when uh, the mechanic 
at the um, mm. uh, mentions like, ah, oh, the last of the V8 interceptors would have been ashamed to blow it up. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. So the opening scene of the Road Warrior is probably one of the the better opening scenes of any movie. Mm. Just the the initial chase scene that sort of sets up the world he lives in. Yeah, it's just like a, like you just they paint like the perfect picture. You don't really. It's nice because they don't they don't spend any time explaining it. I mean, they have the the backstory scene, which I guess is not really necessary. Yeah, you just kind of yeah, it's sort of a run up. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't fill in too many details. It's not know? really necessary. They could probably have cut it from the from right the film. Anyways, right. yeah, yeah, with the dog and. Uh, you know, this is where I was noticing the great digital transfer of the colors from ice. Oh, yeah. No, a lot of the rusts and, and the, the blue browns. sky. Yeah, exactly. Lovely shots of the, uh, of the, sort of the, the arid lands of Australia. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it, it was a great setting. And that's one of the things, like, when you first see that scene, if this was an American movie, I'm not quite sure it would have had the same potency, at least for me. And one of the reasons is because, you know, Australia is sort of a, it's probably about the closest country to America that you could probably find in the world. It's basically a, you know, it's a former, former English uh, colony. Or it's, it's still, West is like our West. Right. It's um, littered with rednecks who are into muscle cars. <laughs> I mean, you know, it has like this kind of vibe. And Australia uh, is one of the few countries that actually helped America fight Vietnam. You, you always think of Vietnam as sort of a, you know, okay, there's the French, and the French, you mm-hmm. know, tapped out, and the Americans came in. Um, but the Australians were there in a limited amount of numbers fighting alongside of us. Yeah. Which is always kind of, you know, we always think of it as our war. Well, I guess they maybe felt they had a little more on the line if they were buying the whole domino effect. Yeah. Because they were, they were a little closer to that sphere of influence. They didn't have the Pacific to buffer them. Right. So Southeast Asia was more on their doorstep. Mm-hmm. I always find that peculiar. And it's a huge trading partner these days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That The attitude of Australians, I think, is extremely close to the attitude of, you know, sort of kicking ass and taking names. and you well, know, not for yourself. Right. And they have, you know, their own shameful racist history like we do. And, uh, yeah. Um, but they're into muscle cars because they have a lot of space and a lot of roads, mm-hmm. uh, big country. Um, so and they have quite a bit of diversity too, like the U.S. Yeah, I mean, they all sorts of types of people. Yeah, because everybody can move to their own area and live the life they want to live. Yeah, right. So yeah, if there's... you want to be a survivalist, knock yourself out. If you want to be a hippie, right, you know, move move out to the the northwest coast or whatever it is. Right. So one of the things that um, one of the reasons George Miller made these movies was because he was a huge muscle car fan. Mm. And muscle cars, like the U.S., were huge in Australia. Okay. And uh, so there's a lot of care taken into the treatment of the vehicles in the film. Well, they do spend a lot of time looking at uh, the modifications that Max made to his car with some sort of weird turbo injector. Well, that was actually, yeah, that was, well, it wasn't stock, but that was in the original vehicle. Like the modifications that he made for the Road Warrior. Was there like a musical scene where he modifies his car? (laughs) Like an 18 type scene where you see him welding and breaking down some other vehicle? No, there's like an introduction to the vehicle in Mad Max where he kind of like goes through its capabilities and stuff. Always explaining it to somebody. Um, The... And I, I, I'm sadly uh, a poor uh, uh, um, re- resource of knowledge when it comes to all things mechanical and cars. But that big, that big 
um, scoop on the top of the hood mm-hmm. is called a supercharger, I believe. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure how it works, but I believe it's more like a, it's like a, uh, it's like a s- super carburetor. Okay. Um, I, I think is how it works. It's somehow oxygen level higher. Yeah, like pre injector. Um, anyway, but it's something that you only use a limited time on the engine. I mean, if you look at drag race, they basically have giant versions of these mm-hmm. these on, on on drag racer cars. Okay. And so, uh, anyway, um, but yeah, that was it, it's it's sort of an, an homage to to the muscle cars. And, you know, the first thing I noticed when, when I was a kid watching, it was like, oh, well, he's on the other side of the, he's on the other, he's on the left side. Do they drive on that side in Australia? Yeah. I was always wondering, I never realized that they, they drive on the... Uh... Right, on the le- left side of the road. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the drive on the right. Small bit of trivia. There's only one Commonwealth country that drives on the right-hand side of the road. Oh, really? And that's Canada. Oh, yeah. All the other British Commonwealth right, countries. But so when I first saw that, you get the sense that you're someplace else. Like, you know, as an eight year old kid, I didn't have a big knowledge of the world. But, you know, watching that, it's like, ah, this this is definitely somewhere far off and okay. and, and mildly exotic. Mm. And so that scene seemed less cheesy than it would have been if it was filmed in the United States, because I would have been, I guess, more familiar with it. You know, really, that little bit of strangeness added just enough to it. It thought, didn't take much for me. Nice shots. Yeah, it was I some mean, compared to last week's film, oh, yeah. which just wasn't beautiful cinematography, right? Except for a couple of instances. Oh, and before I get this last, was, this was really nicely shot. I I had uh, mistakenly given credit to John Landis for the fourth uh, vignette in the Twilight Zone movie, mm-hmm. which was Terror at Twenty Thousand Feet. Uh huh. Actually, George Miller directed. Oh, really? Yeah. No, so, I didn't and know he that. also directed uh, Happy Feet. Oh yeah, Happy I Feet noticed too. that. Boy, that he must have made a lot of money. Happy Feet Two, I heard, was a bit of a flop, but Happy Feet really pulled it in. Uh, really it raked in the cash. Oh man! So you can really uh, you can see the echoes of Mad Max in Happy Feet. Oh yeah, actually, totally. I never saw Happy Feet. Right. No well, you know, he loses his. It was about uh, some apocalyptic Antarctica and uh, he, muscle cars. Yeah, he loses his 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 wife and 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 um, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So uh, um, anyway, so. It left an impression on me, and and it's just the Wes. I think there's 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 two main bad guys in the road. Mm. There's Wes, uh, played by Vernon Wells, who is the uh, basically the assless chaps guy is the easiest way to think about Wes. So, he, um, he, is he the character that has the the boy toy that yes. he's with? His name's Wes. Wes, that's right, right. right. Yeah. And you hear his name mentioned once by the toady. Uh, played by Max Phipps and Toadie is, is that the, the character who loses his fingers. Yeah, he's the <laughs> announcer for uh, the uh, Humongous. The um, yeah, that guy. I told of rock and roll. Right. Yeah. So he does the introductions. Um, uh-huh. Wes and uh, the Humongous are the, are the humongous. two. Humongous. And the Humongous is awesome. That is a crazy character. Yeah, That's he's a big dude. It's yeah. steroided up. Yeah, he's played by some uh, Swedish. Uh, I was wondering. I, I think it must be his actual voice. Really? They must, they must have dubbed that. Oh, you yeah. think so? Because uh, you said he sounded Swedish. He certainly had a. No, no, he, w- he is Swedish. The actor, the guy him. playing him, is Swedish. But I don't yeah. know if that's his the voice, voice. Had a weird sort of Swedish type. Wasn't Australian? Actually, no, no, no. I, I think it might have been the same voice. Really? He had these weird black eyes. Right. Oh. Well, he was like a burn victim. 
Was that it? Yeah, because he was like some sort of scientific experiment gone wrong. <laughs> no, I don't think it was big, that. He had be. like the pulsating veins on his skull. Well, that was because. Well, I think it was because he had been burned. I got. The, I mean, his face was disfigured from being burned, oh. and so that's why he wore the metal hockey mask and the uh, head like neck clamp or whatever that thing was. All right. I yeah, they don't really go into his backstory. I thought they de uh, take off his uh, mask at some time, but they never did. No, uh, no, he was, he's more like a, yeah, he was like a, he looked more like a, a, a professional wrestler, I think. He had that professional wrestler look to him, you know, with the S&M gear and the cod yeah. piece and all that. I really, the beady black rat-like eyes, I found really disconcerting from Humongous. Yeah, I didn't, okay, well, I'll have to watch it mm. and yet probably like for the hundredth time and, and take a look at the Humongous. Mm-hmm. Um, Wes is in the opening scene, and, and Wes is like a, uh, an attack dog. That's kind of his personality. He, um, he, like, you don't know if he's like either retarded or, or has, uh, really, a... I never got the sense that Wes was retarded. No, no, no. I'm just, just crazy. Well, he's crazy. He doesn't he say... loves, he loves the madness. And, but every and time he talks, he kind of like, he's like, no, yes. You know, he does that sort of intense, <laughs> he does, like, you couldn't ever have a conversation with Wes. There's not really any dialogue for Wes. But could you imagine, like, is there ever a situation, like, in the biker gang where, you know, you have a serious conversation, Wes, or is he just always, always kind of, you know, going crazy, like, at all times? Well, you know, you always wonder if there's, like, some drugs that go through. He's, it seems like he's a tweaker or something. Something, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's yeah. Uh, he's wired wrong. Well, he's wired right for his world. <laughs> That's true. He's one of those guys when the world falls apart. The people that don't quite fit in these days, yeah, you know, you know, if yeah. Wes, the fan, they're the people who will rise to the surface. And get, they got the right programming for mayhem. Like if Wes showed up today, like what would Wes be doing? In, he'd be in, sitting in uh, jail. Well, he'd be yeah, he'd be in and out of jail. <laughs> because anybody that is that violent automatically gets put in jail in our society. Uh, Where our enforcement's just so good as far as violence. Would he just be? I mean, would he be a lifer, or would he? Yeah. Could he? You don't think he would be? In, I mean, he'd be like a. Yeah. Like, you just can't go around, I mean, you can't go around killing people out of, you know, just pure craziness and not get thrown right. into the criminal justice system. Right. It's just, yeah. It's just, uh, society just has no... But Wes does love. He has the capacity for love. Well, he has the capacity for, uh, well, when some his... boy toys <laughs> stink eye. <laughs> no, but remember when the, the feral kid uh, clips him in the head with the boomerang? And... Well, he loses, yeah, yeah. And then, I, and then the humongous has to. Was interesting. I wonder if uh, people today might, you know, like the uh, the the uh, gay community might be offended <laughs> by would, this portrayal. Well, I would think because. Well, I mean, I I don't see why so much. Be, I mean, I guess there wasn't as blatantly a, a showing of a female, but there was a rape scene too. There well, there is a rape scene, scene, but I I think the the biker gang is. For its era is meant to scare you, and like I said, with the punk rock thing, mm-hmm. like everybody looks like punkers, um, that was terrifying to middle class. I assume Australia as well as America in its day, and, and Britain and wherever that subculture was. I, I thought I thought it was beautiful the the boy toy thing where he kept him chained to his motorcycle. I think and uh, yeah, just no. rode around with him. I thought what a nice little bit of color. Oh yeah, totally, it's just lovely. Because yeah. he especially had him and all his leather and then the boy toy with his blonde hair. 
Oh yeah. This oh is, yeah. It was. It was. Just, uh, just. I don't know. This movie was just so well put together. It put painted visually. It, yeah, and and you didn't because there was so little dialogue. Mm-hmm. There was almost no dialogue. <laughs> Mel Gibson, I believe, has sixteen lines in the entire movie. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, and Wes even less. Uh, it puts like they have to paint with with pictures. Yeah, this is def- this is definitely a very visual movie. Right. Right. And uh, then you get the. Uh, you would. Uh, I was. Uh, you know, I, I grabbed a couple of audio snippets when you heard at the beginning of the program, and uh, I was sort of. Uh, I just recorded the audio of the movie while I watched it, just so I could grab right. the snippets. And I was browsing through the audio, and it's just nothing but sounds of cars and wind, <laughs> and like you know, sort of. Uh, uh, you know, dark sounding, ominous music. You just skip anywhere in the audio track for the entire movie. Almost it sounds exactly the same. Brian May did the uh, score for the film. Mm. And uh, Brian May is, was, is the guitarist for the band Queen or was the guitarist for the band Queen. And um, I checked out his credits and he'd actually, he's actually done quite a few movie scores. So he wasn't, um, maybe he was kind of taking that Denny Elfman route going from sort of, uh, being in a rock band to, to doing music scores at the time. Well, you know, it's probably good work if you can get it and you have the right skill set. Well, he did an excellent job here because, yeah. you know, the, the shrieking violins, you yeah, know. It's, it's nicely done. I, I didn't mean to disparage it when I said no matter right. where you go. It's just like without the visual, right. the audio track, you're lost. You don't <laughs> right. know where you are in the film because right. there's a lot of similar sounds repeated over and over Right. Again. Lots of screaming, lots mm-hmm. of... Uh, sort of grunts. Yeah, exactly. A lot of wind. You know, you know, one thing that really amazes me is, um, I mean, we've both played the, uh, the, the most, the more modern fallout games like three and right. Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, uh, they basically just stole this movie. Right. They took this movie and basically just stole it. Well, and that's the thing about, not, the... not in a bad sense in the creative, right. you know, uh, you know, genius is, you know, genius is steel sort of idea. Well, and that's is, why uh, it just, I mean, the, the, you know, a little bit of super mutant action with humongous, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, the costumes of the of the savages, right? Totally oh yeah, stolen. totally, yeah. And this, the ever present sound of wind, dry wind, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's ever present in those movies. Yeah, or you mean the 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 um in, in the video games. in the video games? Yeah, I mean, there's always the the sort of this. I I mean, it's one thing I always really enjoyed about the the video games, especially the scores are very similar as well, right? Um. Uh, I, actually, uh, I listened to an interview with uh, the person who created the score for Fallout Three. Yeah, pretty interesting. It's very similar. There's a lot of very similar elements to the score for this movie. Yeah, just um, I mean, if people enjoy Mad Max Two, The Road Warrior, they'd, I'm sure they'd enjoy. <laughs> oh, it. Fallout Three is a great game. And, and you know, in in fact, uh, there's one scene uh, with Humongous. There's two scenes of Humongous where he he has this scoped pistol, like some right. huge. Uh, Huge caliber with the uh, and, and the box had the Death's Head logo. Did you notice that the felt when he popped open the the? Oh yeah, I was wondering what. The, and then there's also a picture of a uh, of a, a a military officer and his wife in there too. Well, it was a it was an SS pistol. Or it had some SS thing because there was a the, oh, the Death's Head. It was an SS thing. So I maybe he was like a Nazi fetishist or something maybe it was back a Nazi in the experiment got wrong. No, I don't. I think. I don't think it's that campy. I think I think they I think they were trying to be more realistic than that. But anyway, so but there's one scene. It's it's the scene where he shoots out the the radiator on the uh, 
yeah. on the semi as it's coming to the refinery, where there's a shot right down his arm, basically a first-person shooter perspective. <laughs> they put the, the camera right there, and you see his arm sticking out where he aims <laughs> down to the radiator block. Oh, really? Perfect first-person first person shooter. shooter. Yeah. I mean, um, I cannot believe they haven't, somebody hasn't bought the IP for Mad Max and made a video game. Well, the thing about, and this because is Because I think, I think, there's nothing, anything, there's not anything I think quite like Fallout 3 on the market. Yeah. And I think it's right for the taking if somebody wants to buy this IP and develop it. Well, the Road Warrior, it, that's why this movie is so important in my opinion, because it, um, there was no movie like it beforehand, but every movie that attempted post-apocalypse, mm-hmm. it always looked like the Road Warrior, like throughout the 80s, 90s, and even now. <laughs> everything, and, and that's the thing, is everything that you know talks about post, like a post-apocalyptic world uh-huh. has to, by definition, almost pay homage to the Road Warrior. I mean, because... Yeah, it, the leather, the... Too much exposed skin, crazy hairdos, the repurposing of athletic equipment. Right. Well, it's like the whole salvage punk yeah. kind of thing, you know? It's, it's this is very. It's not really utilitarian so much as it's fetishist. Well, and you think is that realistic? And you know, after like I mentioned with with you know these scenes we see out of of Africa, I think you know to establish sort of a tribal identity in in a post apocalyptic world is important. Mm. And uh, to tell one person from another exactly, and so fight. you would go to those lengths to sort of, you know, if you got got a cache of football gear, <laughs> right, right, uh, you everybody'd wear a pad, like one pad on one shoulder. I, exactly. I don't see a problem. I'm I'm just wondering what influenced, what what you know what influenced um, uh, the choices for this movie. Well, I mean, like where, I, where did this movie draw from? I mean, well, it didn't come out of a vacuum. No, well, um, well, maybe it did. Maybe there were just some really talented people that were brought together by Miller. Well, it was an extrapolation of the original Mad Max movie, which had elements in 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 it that kind of foreshadowed sort of some of the costuming and stuff that was in this. Built upon that, I mean, that's the first movie certainly didn't have the you know the attention to detail, right? Sort of the exaggeration that this movie had, right? And you know, the art department went to, like I said, S and M places Mm -hmm. and sporting goods stores to get the costumes, so. Literally, they salvaged what was around them to come up with the costumes that, you know, for Mad Max. Well, whatever. There were some talented people. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, whether the movie in itself is 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 good or not, the influence that the Road Warrior had on, like, everything mm-hmm. beyond it is, is... To this day. To this day is huge. And I think it's probably bigger than any other science fiction movie I can think of. Yeah, like, even really, Blade really, Runner. It really or, set a tone. Set a tone. Or aliens, and it also sent a tone for action. Mm. You know, great car action stuff. I, oh, yeah. I wonder what the whoever. There's some great stuntmen work in here. There's one scene where uh, a man transfers from a motorcycle to the back of the pickup. Yeah, Whew. yeah, just harrowing. Well, yeah, There's some really great live. And I don't think I don't think they sped up the film at all. I think they were moving on uh, the roads. There was one scene that was actually. A terrible accident that they oh, left really? in the movie, and it was—it's—it's uh, it's pretty iconic. It's, it's not where the scene where the guy's legs get broken. That no, 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 no. But a leg is broken in the scene. It's—it's it's the the semi chase. Okay. And the, the, the chase 
into the compound or out of the compound? The final okay. action scene with the, okay. with the the chase out of the compound. Chase out of the compound, and it's a motorcycle guy, and he hits something, and he goes end over end. Uh-huh. Like you see that scene and he, he's like doing these midair cartwheels as he's oh, coming towards he, the camera. Oh, the guy's trying to shoot out the wheel and it's like his hand gets caught in it? No. That scene? No, it's... It's something else. That's all right. I can watch it again. It, it's great though. And and he does this head over heels thing. Uh-huh. And it's a filmed accident. Like yeah. it wasn't supposed to happen, but it was so awesome that it they just left it in. The guy had like a totally like compound fracture in his leg. <laughs> like be, as that happened. Why or, throw that away? Of course, yeah. you know. I mean, you paid good money for it. So. Yeah, and the guy. I mean, it's a emulsion of balls, right? You know, stuntman, it's some great stuntman work. Um, so one thing that I and watching it again, I what I always do is like, why is this movie so important? Is it nostalgia that keeps me watching it? You know, there's tons of action movies today, um, but they're all shit. And I think it's because the action in this movie is. Well, for starters, before CGI. It's practical. Right. And it's not frenetic, and it's not, like, there's tension, there's uh, quiet moments in the action. It doesn't go on too long, except for maybe that last scene. The last oh, the last scene. scene was, I think... Not too long, but the action scenes sometimes, they're, they're so oh, right. relatively short at times. Right. Like, I watched uh, the new Conan the Barbarian. I did not see that. <sighs> It was, it was, uh, I turned it off halfway no, it through. It was that bad, huh? It was, uh, it was all action. Was it PG-13? Probably. Oh, fuck. What Which... a... Really? <laughs> yeah. No oh, tits yeah. in a Conan movie? That's uh, just wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah. But I didn't see anything in there that I would, Ugh. I would give an R to, let alone maybe a hard R. You know? Oh, shit. Um, so. No, that's a ruin, that's a ruin it right there. But that movie was nonstop action. Oh. Like pointless, nonsensical action with absolutely no tension, or and you can develop characters in an action action scene, mm-hmm. and that's kind of one thing I realized watching this again is that you can have these kind of quiet moments, and there's this one moment that I thought was was uh, was great in the final semi chase, and and uh, it was this look that Papa Papa Gallo he looks at. Max, he drives up next to Max, uh-huh. and he looks over at Max, and they look at each other, and then it's just this kind of, like, just, I don't know, this, it's almost like a, it's not a, a, a fearful look that they give each other, it's just sort of a look like, like desperate, exa- like exhaustion at, at something, they just, you know, that this has gotten, like it's, they're not going to live through it. And Wait, where, what part of the movie is this? It's, it's the final chase. Who and, is Papagallo? Yeah, and Papagallo is actually a really important character. Because which, which character is that? He's the leader of the uh, the refinery. Oh, I thought that was Zeta. Pop, no, uh, Papagallo is the guy who, uh, he gets shot in the hip. Oh, um, God, I, I thought that was Zeta. Okay. Zeta. I don't know who is Zeta. Oh, I, I must be confused. Um, Go ahead. He uh, and he's actually the hero of the movie. Mm. Um, Mel Gibson as Max is the anti-hero. He's the kind of the Clint Eastwood sort of uh, man with no name comes in, and, and broken man, the broken man, and he's uh, cynical mm-hmm. and for um, good reason, right? And he doesn't, uh, you know, they're trying to build 
uh, a world after the apocalypse, mm-hmm. and he is they given have hope, up. and he's lost. Yeah, he's given up on everything. Yeah. But Papa Gallo is like an idealist, and mm. so uh, you know he he sticks to the plan. He comes up with the plan. Mm-hmm. You know the ruse. He comes up with the ruse to put the the sand into the. And the he tanker. sacrifices himself. Right, and he and he goes. Well, who's going to drive it? That he's not. And he's drive but it. he's also cunning because he's willing to sacrifice Max twice. Right. He tries right. to get Max to drive the the ruse vehicle. And right. He's always planning to be part of the convoy to keep that. Right. Keep that. Uh, keep that ruse alive. Yeah. Uh, and then when Max leaves, he just takes the. And when Max comes back. He gives Max the uh, the driving of the semi, so he's, right. he's willing to sacrifice Max. Right. Well, his, and he, his hands aren't clean. He gives that job up reluctantly, though. He doesn't like Max stumbles out of the uh, the, mm-hmm. the the ambulance and he goes, "Well, I'm going to drive that tank." Well, he sacrifices himself. He's sacrificing himself either way. Well, yeah, he is, but he uh, he doesn't want to give it to him. He's like he he wants to be the martyr. Yeah, and he says no. He's like that that offers closed. I mean, there's really no. But he offered it. At first. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you wonder if he was thinking he might be able to get away with his life. Right. Uh, so, to me, he seems like the... Because he has this line where he... When Max is heading out, he got, he has his fuel. He's, the deal's well, done. There's, you know, there is that... Probably the only monologue in the film is this monologue you're about to talk about where he talks about honor well, and he, humanity. And and was it the one where he's uh, digging on Max for what he is? Calls him a maggot. Yeah, and and there's this line in there. He goes, uh, "You're a maggot, basically living off the corpse of the old world." Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this is something I've I've read quite a bit of like post-apocalyptic fiction and 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 whatnot. And there is this sort of, you know, what do you do when you have to move on as like human beings do you stick around and kind of salvage your way through life on what's left or do you try to part from it and yeah it's sort of civilization is over and you have to kind of go back to human being sort of default tribal kind of subsistence existence yeah you know part with what was and and kind of go back to you know sort of this stable Almost. I mean, human beings have always formed tribes, and they've always well, they kind of still do. They're just bigger. Yeah, and they're bigger, and now they unfortunately inject themselves into nation-state politics, which gives you things like Iraq and Afghanistan and all that miserable stuff. Um, I but don't see how that's too much different from what's been going on in the past. Not really. It's just a different version of it, I guess. But he he has to, you know, he kind of, and I think Max knows that. He knows what he is. He knows that it's not like it's what he hasn't he knows that he's a scavenger and a vulture mm-hmm. and a maggot he knows he's broken but um he just doesn't like he just doesn't want to be reminded of it in a way maybe he i mean people you get broken to the point where you can't heal some wounds don't heal right right and uh and yeah he's definitely broken and um and so the question of whether he is this like a redemption movie does he find redemption at the end I think in a sense, you know, yeah. um, and, and well, he survives. It's a little bit, a little bit weird about the, the ending. Why doesn't he, he survives, uh, him and the, uh, the, the gyro captain survive. Right. But only the gyro captain rejoins. Yeah. Cause he's of, of a, the people who are part of the, uh, of the, uh, of the, uh, distracting tanker run that lets everybody else escape. Right. Just Ma- Max and the, 
and the gyro captain survive, but the gyro captain's the only one who returns to the tribe. Well, no, the the feral kid. Who, oh, the feral kid too survives. Right. Who's actually? But why the does Max not go with him? If he's redeemed, why? Maybe he's just still too broken. He is still too broken. Yeah. And I tend to dismiss Beyond Thunderdome as sort of a replay of the Road Warrior, so I don't really want to talk about it too much because I don't think it. Yeah, it's it. Fine. it, it I think. Need to talk about how it doesn't make any sense that the gyro captain comes back. Yeah, as a different character with yeah. a different name and a kid. Yeah, yeah that that's all kind of dumb. And uh, so I, you could have ended the series with the Road Warrior, and it would have been fine. But. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoyed Bruce Spence's performance as the gyro captain. He was he's sort of he's he's got a lot of depth to him. You know, he's he's uh you know, he's opportunistic, he's also intelligent. And he's gentlemanly. To a sense, he's also lustful. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> and in the end he becomes the leader of the group. No, uh, well the the, the you yeah. kind of get that sense. Well, no, you, you get the the narrator who oh, is the grown man. up feral kid. Strangely enough, I thought that kid was like autistic or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, says that yes, the gyro captain steps in. Oh yeah, and uh, is the leader, and then is replaced by the feral kid as he right, goes. right, yeah, because he has some great sort of. Uh, well, there's that scene where 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 Max is is looking through the binoculars at the uh, <laughs> the, the refinery and the, uh-huh. the the chaos around it, and. Uh, he just has this kind of rambling monologue that you can hardly understand because it's in sort of a drawly. You're not paying attention to it. You're paying attention to the action. Oh, what is? Uh, I mean, when they're when they're watching the uh, the, uh, the like the the uh, scouts come out. No, it's the first the first time they he he goes. I know where he can get tons of food. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he takes them to the overlook that looks overlooks mm-hmm. the refinery. And they're viewing it. Yeah, and he goes. You know, and he mentions like you know, playing mahjong, drinking tea, oh, yeah, yeah. and then this trash mm-hmm. showed up. You know, uh-huh. like like they oh boy, do they have it good there? You know, until <laughs> till all this happened and stuff. Oh, but uh, yeah, and he oh he has like a lot of neat little contraptions. All these little touches, like he pulls out that old uh, collapsible. Uh, uh, what do you call it? just a? Oh yeah, a like it was piece. like a a Siemens telescope yeah. or something like that. Yeah, he pulls it out, and there's also the the scene where. Um, uh, Max opens a can of dog food, eats it. Yeah, throws the rest of the dog food to <laughs> the dog, and then he's like scraping out. But but uh, the gyrocraft pulls out a wooden spoon. Yeah, a wooden spoon. <laughs> just all these little details, just really nicely put together, just ornate, ornately made. Right, and it's I really nice. I wondered if those were his real teeth or not. I hope. Oh, Bruce... the teeth were nicely. God, just I just but can't we're... get over the costuming and the attention to detail in this film. It's just wonderful. And he and he had the, <laughs> he actually had the the old school like flyers cap. Yeah. Um. The other thing I noticed Lovely is his. Stuff. Did you notice how how much weight his little gyrocopter could carry? carry? Yeah. yeah. Like there's like there's that one scene where like. There's like some sort of jump seat that he can slide out uh-huh. and like take not only Max but Max and his dog and all the all the diesel and all the diesel. Which was amazingly he had basically four five gallon jugs, even though he only asked for five gallons. I of think diesel. it was that they. I was because if you were carrying like five gallons is. I mean that's like those a, jugs were five gallons if they were a gallon. He probably had them a quarter filled or something because for balancers, I whatever. I think they were empty for when he was walking around. How they sway on the, on his uh, yoke. Yeah, they, they don't look full. But um, you know, one other thing interesting about Bruce Spence is he's really tall. But right. he also played. I I just recently watched uh, the extended versions of the Lord of the Rings movies. I don't know if you ever oh, watched yeah. the extended uh, I think so. versions. Yeah. But uh, in the the last one, the Return of the King, uh, the mouth of Sauron. 
Sauron is uh, is there. Oh. And uh, I don't know if you remember, there's a really great scene. It's cut from the theatrical version where they're at the Black Gates right. and the mouth of Sauron comes out. Oh, I don't know yeah. if you remember it from the yeah, books. Yeah, no, it's been I remember a while. That. Yeah, yeah. He's basically a creature that's been, you know, basically, you know, rot to speak Sauron's words. Right. Bruce Spence plays that character. He also plays... Also had some really neat teeth. Oh, yeah. Fake teeth. Did you see it? I did. did. It's a little comical. It's, it's actually pretty, it's pretty funny. Did you see... Um... Dark City. Oh, he also played. Yeah, he also he was played one of Mr. the Mr. Uh, Sleep or Mr. Corpses. Hand. Yeah. yeah, he was one of the main guys. Yeah, but he was like all in white, bald head, super tall, and yeah, just creepy as all. A couple hell. of interesting places we've seen this guy. Yeah, he definitely plays that sort of sci-fi kind of thing well. But um, yeah, and then they bring him back for Mad Max Three as a different character oh, really? with a oh, stupid plane. It just that that was kind of lame. Um, but yeah, he was, he was definitely, he provided comic relief at least throughout most of the, I thought he was a really nice character and had some depth to him. He wasn't, oh yeah, he saw a lot of little aspects of his life. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. All these characters were all, I I, mean, I really like how he's trying to escape with that. that oh, the girl. Little, yeah. The girl. And, uh, and then she says, I don't want to go. And, and he's, then he's swayed by it. Right. He's like, well, he decides to commit himself. Yeah, I I just thought it was a neat character. And then uh, when Max is breaking all his deals with him, he's uh, he's like, you know, we're partners. We had a deal. Yeah. You know, I mean, he he's comes all... back and, and saves him twice. Yeah, and he's like, you know, as I assume like a gentleman keeps his word or yeah. something like he that. He saves him on the trip into the compound with the same and he saves him again. Oh, when he leaves, he saves him like three times. <laughs> he saves him on the trip into the compound because he just lets a. Uh, does some distraction to allow him to get the semi into the compound. Right. And then he also saves him after his, after the interceptor explodes. Right. When he does, pulls a Han Solo and takes off. Oh yeah. Right. And, uh, and then he's, then he also comes along with the, uh, with the distraction of the final chase scene. He's, he's flying along. Oh yeah. And he's like firebombing him uh-huh. and stuff. And yeah. A yeah. strange character. Amazingly loyal. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, he he was uh, he was he was one of the. I, I think the movie would have been vastly and different the without dog him. Died. Yeah, the dog died. But uh, I actually read up in the trivia that was a was a shelter dog uh-huh. that they trained for that movie, uh-huh. and um, I think one of the, the the grips or somebody on the movie adopted it afterward. Uh-huh. Um, but. Uh, the dog was afraid of engine noise. Oh, really? Yeah, like so they had to do all those scenes like. I, somehow with like the car being towed or something because the, the dog was freaking out uh, you know with that big V8 running in the car mm. and stuff so they had to uh, oh the initial scene where the dog's in the in the passenger seat right oh, that's right. a great uh, that opening scene you ride is absolutely right. amazing um, and then the other thing I, I, I'm going through my notes here uh, the one thing that uh, I thought was great about the biker gang is when they start engaging in their pagan rituals up on the hill you know oh there's that there's that great uh, sort of montage scene after humongous you know he gives the the, the refiner people the well they try to the deal yeah and then finally goes oh you have turned down my deal well they I turned it yeah could... vengeance upon you and then there's a cut scene of them basically debauch- debauchery all night long right and they're like you're talking about? burning people at the uh burning people like crucifying them and mm-hmm. like that those eight folks that uh oh they left. caught the scouts they caught early. Yeah, and they're like burning them, which I think, to me, like getting burned alive seems probably one of the worst 
most miserable ways to be lynched that I can possibly think about. I don't think, you know, from what I've heard, being burned at the stake is really not that bad because uh, uh, you pass out from the fumes because you, oh, you, you get this, basically you die from smoke inhalation before you happens? even burn. Because you have the oh, fire coming up, yeah. and those exhaust fumes from the fire, you breathe that in, you pass out. Oh, that one would hope. <laughs> yeah, just if you're ever at the stake, <laughs> just start if breathing ever, deep. You know your uh, your society deems you a sorcerer, right. must die. Right, or a witch. Um, if you're at the stake when they start the fire, just take some deep breaths. Yeah, and you'll pass out before you burn. Yeah. Well, they still burn witches in uh, Africa. Well, it is Africa. Oh man, you don't want witches around. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's true. They got enough. They got enough problems. You don't need a. You don't need a witch. Um, yeah. So uh, and then the humongous. Yeah, he goes on his sort of pagan sort of. That is a pretty neat scene. It's crazy. And then like you know the, the the guys are out there like doing like spins with the bike and it's raining. Well, you know I'll tell you for being short on fuel and needing fuel. They use a lot of it. They use a lot of gas. <laughs> they use a lot of gas. It's amazing how short fuel is. People love driving around like crazy. Well. And yeah, and like the amount of time, amount of gas that they waste trying to get into the mm-hmm. the refinery compound, like God, you know, they could have, I mean, they could have moved on to the next settlement. Yeah. And uh, there's uh, some problems with just from a conservation of energy standpoint. Well, yeah, let's the talk movie, about that. The like, movie sort of misses the point a little bit. So, okay, so there's an oil crisis, and oil production, for whatever reason becomes scarce and so what you do is you immediately form a gang that basically drives around constantly in muscle cars so <laughs> right yeah the most the, the you, you le- don't you don't get you don't get some oxen or a gang or of carts or a gang of like hybrid electric vehicles or just walk around <laughs> no 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 you, you you just fucking you find a refinery and then you just drive your cars around <laughs> it all from, from from dawn to dusk so and then then you stay up all night like with big lit gas torches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So would it? Okay. <laughs> that was extremely. Silly. You know, one thing. You know, with I think this bugs you too. When you take it, when you take a piece of science fiction, and you just go, you just apply like basic laws of physics. You just take like thermodynamics. Right. You go. Just just makes sense from this standpoint. And if it doesn't, it's really annoying. I didn't. Okay. Yeah, and usually that really gets to me uh-huh. in science fiction films. Not so films. much in this film. And one of the reasons, I mean, it's it's such nostalgia. This film is such nostalgia for me that I tend to maybe give it a pass on yeah. a lot of this well, it's stuff. It's so beautiful in so many other aspects. It's it's not annoying. If it was a shitty film, yeah, it would have bugged me because I I wouldn't be awing at the wonderful art direction, right? And the cinematography, I'd be bitching and moaning about the fact they're burning too much fuel to get a tanker of fuel. Right. I, well, the first scene of the movie you get sort of, you know, it's, it's trying to give you the sense of how scarce the fuel is because Max is like literally like taking rags and dabbing it on the cement and then like He's trying to... some filters. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like, it looks like muddy water. You know, that's how scarce the fuel yeah, is, yeah, yeah. right? But yeah, like you said, they're out there like spinning, like doing... Doing roadies all day, <laughs> right, doing laps and you know all kinds of crazy shit. Oh, they got they got compressed nitrous oxide. I'm not sure where the hell we're getting that. Yeah, from. I don't know. So the the thing that I was thinking of was like, wow, yeah, you know, I did notice that. Why are they? Why wouldn't you be a little bit more conservative? And the thing that I thought of was like, well, maybe they're just they think themselves such badasses that they can flaunt the resource or something. Or a show know. of strength to incite terror in your enemy. Right, because... It's a, useful, it's a useful tool, even if it costs you some resources. Right, so, like, if you're... Right, if you're in a resource-limited 
uh, kind of post-apocalypse, where nothing's getting made. Um, and you want to intimidate, because think how valuable a vehicle would be. You know, you could get across Australia in a matter of days mm. if you had, you know, enough fuel to do so. Where mm-hmm. if you were, like, using a camel or walking or, mm-hmm. you know, something of that nature, it It'd would take almost you... impossible. Be almost impossible. Mm-hmm. So they have this, you know, this kind of uh, power over probably the communities that they raid, right? And a uh, part of that is, is you know, keeping the fuel. And so... If you need to... I mean, if you need fuel and you need to burn a half tanker of fuel for a tanker of fuel, it can make sense. Right. So, you know, like, uh, they're probably flaunting a scarce yeah. resource. Well, Humongous certainly is intimidating. You know, Humongous is an interesting character with his use of reason and vengeance. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's really sort of a... Uh, <laughs> he has his own morality, definitely. I, I, I don't know if he has his own morality, but he certainly is very intelligent. Well... And and he does have a... And he uh, has a reasonable side, too. Well, and he has... Um, well, there's a scene where uh, uh, the the V8 heads, heads out across the... When Max leaves, and um, Wes takes it upon his own initiative. He he basically commandeers Humongous's rig mm. and uh, with the toady and a couple other guys, and then they go hunt Max down. He takes down. off, Humongous is not too pleased about it. Right, and remember uh, at the when they're all lined up again, like, Wes is on chains. Uh-huh. Like, he has him by, like, the leash. As a punishment. Yeah, as a punishment, because he, you know, he uh, went went outside of, you, you know, and... Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, he calls him his dogs of his war. His dog of war. Be still, my and he dog also, when, when Wes takes off, he calls him a puppy, I think. Oh, he does? Yeah, like a bad puppy. Yeah, he said something, and I didn't get that. I was like, what did he... S-? Yeah, he calls him something that... I, I listened to that a couple of times. I think he said puppsy, puppy. Oh, I did he? Rewind it. Oh, it was tough to, it was tough to tell that. with that accent. Yeah, that was pretty cool, though. He he, he, he He's his war dog. That's yeah. kind of what... What Wes is to yeah, the just like any dog, you need to smack it across the nose every right. once in a while. Yeah, and and you need to reward it. The the thing that you know, and I was thinking, could this be even like would people attempt this movie today? And and could you make a movie where you strap two guys to the front of your vehicle, half dead for like? Oh, I love the I love the humongous <laughs> driving around with those crucified. People. I think they were still alive. Because <laughs> you know, like, in the final crash scene, I think they look up like, "Oh my God, we're going to get they? smashed!" Yeah. Well, they had like it's um, really fast bags over their heads. Like yeah. I don't know, like they die and then they put bags over their heads. Either way, it's a very effective. He loves terror. Humongous understands the psychological warfare. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Which makes sense that maybe he is a Nazi. Well, and that rig—you you, you look at the rig, and he has like those, like it's like I don't know, it looks like a bulldozer scoop bucket, and it's the foot platforms, and then he has the the you know the poles up there that he straps mm-hmm. his victims to. These weren't the first guys that uh, he's strapped to the front of his car. Yeah, yeah. I mean, crucifixion. There's a reason it was so useful. It's a great. And those dudes Great are there, like terror. those dudes are there from like almost minute one. I mean, they're there. Well, I mean, that's how crucifixion worked. You'd stay up there for days until the final scene yeah. where they plow into the semi yeah. there at the end. I was just thinking, it's like what an awesome touch. I mean, yeah, it's nicely done. Yeah, nicely and that done. last scene is it where it gets quiet, and um, I just think that's such an amazing piece of action because you don't hear anything but the heartbeat. You know, like there's all this chaos and then it slows down and he has to get the kid out on to the hood mm-hmm. to get the shells. Oh, yeah, and Wes pops up. And it's quiet and... Uh, yeah, you can hear the heartbeat of the kid because the kid's like... Oh. 
Right. And then he comes up with a hood screaming. Uh-huh. And then like a second later, you know, there's the humongous hitting him head on. Yeah, because he hit this nitrous and lost control of his vehicle. Right. Oh man, that's that's. I was just thinking you couldn't do that kind of action scene today. Really? Nobody would do it. Why? Because action movies are crap these days. Because it's it's like we need to throw more at them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is sort of the the guy who does the Transformers movies. What's his name? Oh, Michael Bay. Michael. There's sort of things that sort of more bayified, where it's not oh. so much the grittiness of the people. It's more about the equipment flying around. Well, and I wonder when did that happen in cinema? When did it get to a point where? action took a turn for the worst. Like, the 80s was a good era for action movies. They really got it down, and, and like, the action in those in, in most of those 80s action movies were really good. Like, well, Die Hard, that, you know, and, the, you know uh, like, the first Predator movie. There have been a couple generations of, uh, uh, of uh, you know, real experts in the yeah. field of setting up these action scenes, and I think that it really had come to a point where it really matured before the CG came in and sort of supplanted a lot of this work. Well, and I don't even know if it was CG. It just went gonzo at a certain point where it's just like um, you can't tell what's happening in an action scene. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the way action movies well, are nowadays. You don't know what's happening. A, maybe it came, the 80s was when it was ripe, and beyond that it overripened. As weird as it seems, you need to have good writing in an action film i mean you know you don't think yeah, of it that yeah, way tough to write too but you of... need to have like these little moments of character development like you know that govern a person's actions and when... you gotta have some strong storyboarding right and like that scene um where you know the the last scene that the, the semi chase where max isn't an action star really in that scene he's just he's kind of doing what you or i would do Almost, if you were fearless. I mean, I would be shitting my pants and I wouldn't do it. But well, it seems like he had sort of, he, he didn't really feel that, the sort of emotions. Yeah, but he he's not up down. there doing like jujitsu on the top of the tanker as, you know, there's, oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that kind yeah, of crap. You know, the, yeah, there's not too much, it feels like any movement people make is within the realm of actual possibility. There's yeah. Nobody, there's nobody on a wire. Right. Yeah, there's nobody, around. like, doing Matrix-style I mean, shit. When people try to push it, they get killed. Right, yeah, like, there's nobody doing backflips onto uh-huh. the semi. Like, there's the one guy that tries to crawl up, and he gets hung up in the barbed uh-huh. wire, you know, and then they try, and he's hung up, and then they try to have to, like, they have to move up next to him to uh-huh. try to, you know, hit, you know, to kind of get him off the, the barbed wire. Yeah, and the, and the uh, commune's warrior woman tries to come back and uh, help the paraplegic. Oh yeah, and she sort of gets caught out in the open, like anybody would, right? Going from uh, from their dugout to dugout in this uh, a war scene, you get she gets exposed, right? And she gets killed, and the cripple just like that. There's no there's yeah. no amazing move. She doesn't go flying. Right. She just gets she's crawling from one protected area to another, and she gets shot. Right, and then there's just like that, and then there's there's fuck ups that cause the two other guys to die. Like he gets his leg hooked with the grappling hook, uh-huh. and like then the vehicle, like that's just. The guys fuck up throwing the grappling hook because they don't understand the physics, you know, Uh because then their vehicle starts getting, you know, drug. Uh And then the guy's legs pinched up against it it and and pulls him off. That's a nicely done scene where the semi and then, like, the little ATV is flopping around. Oh, yeah. What a nice little piece. Right, yeah. And uh, then there's the guy, the the crippled guy catches himself on fire. Uh And he's trying to, it's a little comical. (laughs) He's trying to put himself out. He's slapping his hands. And those three folks die... Like, within the first five yeah. minutes of that scene, they're gone. Well, it was always a suicide mission. Right. I wonder who knew. Well, I th- 
I think they all knew except knew. for Max. Except for Max, yeah. Because and Max doesn't seem too disturbed about it. I mean, because the very end scene where you see the sand coming out, right? Because that's when that's when it's revealed to the viewer, right? I had I had I had I once that the final chase scene started, I remembered that there's it's not there's not actually fuel in there, right? But it's an interesting reveal, and the movie doesn't really foreshadow it, at right? All. Well, um, there's the except scene... that it makes sense from a just from a survival standpoint. It's a great, yeah. it's a great, it's a great maneuver. There's it's a scene creative. where Max is stumbling out of the, the ambulance and you overhear Papa Gallo, uh, uh, go through the plan with the people and you sort of get hints of what's happening like that. Oh, there is some really interesting background, uh, discussions, really neat sound editing. Yeah. Where you'll, you'll be in a foreground of a conversation and, uh, the scene will switch to like 50 yards away and the, and that'll just be pushed to the background. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. What a nicely wrought film. Yeah, it was terrifically done. Just wonderfully put together. Um, that scene, though, you hear him go through the plan. And if you know, you know, that it was a ruse, you, you, that scene makes more sense. Because mm. he said, you know, if, if we make it, mm-hmm. we'll meet at the bridge 200 miles north. Mm. And if we're not there by sundown, take off without us. Because, you know, basically yeah. we so have So everybody it. was in on it. Yeah, yeah everybody was in on it. And so... It's um, a great idea. You know, and uh, there's obviously like uh, a martyrdom thing with with riding the semi mm-hmm. because that's sort of the suicide mission, yeah. and and the other folks are gonna, you know, most likely survive it. You know, like the paraplegic is arguing to be on his vehicle. Yeah, because he they built go, it. No, 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 don't go on there. You know. Yeah. Plus, yeah. because he's a really useful person. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, because he he can fix all the fix anything. broken shit that yeah. they you know. But he refuses. He's gonna die for his. Uh, his, yeah, he's not going to ride in a school bus. That was like, I'm not going to ride in any school bus. You know, as there plenty of honorable people. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They're 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 so so three dimensional, and mm-hmm. you don't even. And that's the thing, and you don't. There's so little dialogue to support it. Exactly. It's just uh, it's a really um, do as I do type of people. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, that's about all I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, going through my notes here. Any other little tidbits? Um, just one note. Uh, I still love Mel Gibson stuff. Oh, I, I have no problem with Mel well, Gibson. Well, I mean, what, what's uh, well what because everybody hates Mel Gibson now because oh, because he's a he's a drunkard. Well, he's a drunkard, sexist, racist. Yeah, uh, but he's kind of maniac. I, bought, I rewatched Apocalypto the other day. That's a fantastic movie. Fucking amazing. Movie. Well, and and wonderful action. Nothing over the top. Oh yeah, perfectly oh. done. And there's no quiet moments. No white folks. No white leads in the whole movie. You know, a bunch of Mayans that you never. I gotta heard see of. the Passion of the Christ. Even that's, though I don't like snuff films. That's a good movie. And yeah. I'm an atheist, right? And yeah. I I was totally put off by you know the fact that Fox News was was actually doing almost promo reels for the film. <laughs> um, but. I, I saw it because I love Mel Gibson stuff, and I just kind of like took it for what it was and sort of uh, divested from the, uh, you know, the evangelical sort of uh, 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 championing of the film. And it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just flat out a good movie. You know, you wonder, you know, the skill of, of Mel Gibson as a director. I mean, I'm, I wonder how much he really absorbed from Miller during making these films. I don't know. Because Miller's very talented. Well, Braveheart's an awesome action yeah. movie too, and you know, and I mean, that's the thing is like Braveheart. It, it's weird how influential Mel Gibson is, even being the bastard that he is, because mm-hmm. you go to Scotland, 
and Braveheart is almost a um, political passion play. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Well, the Scots have always, like, I think they're looking to try to put some kind of a, a secession uh, thing on the They don't like to be agenda. occupied by wankers, as trade spotting. So. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, but no, you'd think that, like, uh, like some Australian guy going to make a, a movie about a Scottish patriot, mm-hmm. you know, that he'd well, be part sort of, of shined on, right? But no, they loved they loved that film in It's well, a great film. Right. You know, and so like with the evangelicals and the passion of the Christ, because he's some sort of, he's not a true Catholic. He's like a nutty version of Catholicism, like a, an ext- extreme oh, really? version of it or something hmm. like that. But, I don't um, really know much about his religious Anyway, so everybody's down on Mel, but uh, I, I I still love his stuff, and you I know, keep hoping I, he does great stuff. And you know, you know, great people, you have to accept their flaws. Well, I mean, society maybe doesn't like accepting their flaws, but uh, and I he think, gives much more than he takes away. I think if you were back in the pre-media days and you were looking at the artists of the era, you'd think all oh, they were all insufferable, horrible people too. Well, sometimes <laughs> the insufferable sons of bitches get get the great things done well like picasso is i mean he was a he was a notorious asshole mm-hmm. you know just a total bastard but you can't ever wrap that up with any of his of, of his art because uh it, it would be beside the point mm-hmm. you know and i think to a certain level you almost have to be a little bit fucked up and crazy to be doing great art uh, well sometimes not compromising right is a hard position right and well, like doing a whole movie and like doing a whole movie in Aramaic and Latin. You had to tell a few people to go fuck themselves. It's like, well, you know, Aramaic mind. and Latin, Mel? I don't know. It's like, well, you know, I'm going to do my fucking movie in Aramaic yeah, and Latin. and you're keep, just, your, keep your money. And it's going to be, find yeah, I'm going to make a movie it. with dead languages that's going to be subtitled <laughs> and you're going to suck it up. And yeah. they did. And same with Apocalypto, all done in the Mayan language, you know, and and uh, doesn't detract from the film at all. Not at all. Yeah. So, anyway, that is uh, episode three. Well, of, thanks for uh, joining us today. I think this was a great movie, and uh, yeah, I recommend I enjoyed it. Enjoyed it quite a bit. Watch it if you haven't seen it. Although you probably wouldn't be listening to this if you haven't seen it. So, anyway, have a nice week. All right, until next time. <laughs>